Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. To those of you listening in for the first time, I am Emma, your podcast host, and each week I'm out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. It is also an excuse for me to reconnect with many of those who had a connection to my bookshop, which sadly closed in June 2019. This week, my guest is Jerry King. He writes autobiographical fiction, commonly referred to as autofiction. He is the author of Lubin Tales, Smoke and Other Tales, and more recently, Come Back to Me, Then Go Away. Jerry's early years were dominated by drink and drugs, before he found an escape route from that world through fate, poetry, art and writing. He said, if you're going to change, there's got to be some honesty. This is Jerry King's story about London, the world and life. Hello everyone, I'm back with another episode of the Travelling Through podcast and today I am meeting, or I've met up with Jerry King at Liverpool Street Station it's a bit of a windy day, isn't it, Jerry? It is, and I am here. <laughs> you are you here. You might not be able to see me, but I can assure you I'm here. And we're standing in front of the statue, the Kinder statue. It's the Kinder transport statue, which commemorates the, uh, the Jewish children that came from Germany. I think it was uh, 1938 to 1939. And I'm not sure on the figures, 12,000. It could be well in excess of that, but I think that's the... The figure, 12,000. That's a huge amount of people, isn't it? Yeah, not enough though, was it? No, no, that's true. They then went all round the UK and were yeah. taken in by families yes. during the war. Um, and this, this statue commemorates the children themselves. It's got the main German rail hubs around the other side of it. Oh, yes. Which is, you know, obviously like Berlin, Leipzig, Hamburg, but also there's Prague, and uh, Vienna, Vienna, Austria, yes, yes. Uh, yes, and looking at it, you can see it. Two, I would say, teenage girls, young teenage girls, yes, and a small girl holding a teddy bear sitting on a suitcase. There's a violin case. I mean, I, I've forgotten more than I remember. Oh, and there is, there's a, there's a, a two young boys as well. One wearing a little cap with yeah. four one five. They're all numbered. They've all got numbers rather than the names it seems but I imagine they, the name yeah I can't think of, of anything more uh, terrible to yeah. be sort of in a strange country with nobody you know exactly. not knowing anyone either no. being picked up but the reason that the I think this is so relevant to what we're doing today is that you asked me one of the questions was how did you come up with the name Lubin Publishing yes yes which is the name of, of the publishing company that it was the publishing company books. that uh, I'd come up with the name back in like the mid 2000s and then Louise my partner we started a publishing company Zero Lubin Publishing but there was a sort of a nod to I don't know if you remember the comedian Zero Mostel I have to say I don't <laughs> right but he was in a film with I think it was Gene Wilder called The Producers okay he was a very funny he happened to be a Jewish comedian mm. and he would have been of like Ashkenazi descent which is I think Larry David of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm there seems to be this rich seam of humour that right. just happens to run through this cert these certain people yeah, yes. and uh, Lubin 
was actually Lublin, and I think it was part of Poland. It was devastated in the yes, Second World War. I so I don't know how I sort of put those two together, but that's what that's how it's zero Lublin. It just sounded pretty good. Yes. I just liked it. Yeah, but no. that's really what it's about. It was that there's that image I've got it now of zero Mostel. If you check him out. You know, I don't I think do. you, you, you could. I looked up Lubin on just on, on Google. I know, as I one found does. that interesting. <laughs> yes, what the, uh, the heart of a man or yeah, the heart yeah, of the yeah. sea. And I thought, oh, wow, well, is it because that your is, books are coming from no, I, the heart? I'd like to say, uh, you know, that that's the case, but it's not true. But still, the story that you have but, is, uh, is equally fascinating. And I'm, uh, The Producers is the name of the film. The Producers it? is the name of the film. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an excellent, if you haven't seen it, yeah. you're lucky. Okay. It's like discovering with Nail and I. If you've never seen With Nail and I. Which I have and I love it. This is it. it okay. The producers, it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, and the original one. Yes. Don't go for the remakes. They never get, name, tell me a remake that's ever been better than the original. I know none. I can't even think no. of one. I can't even think no. of one. I believe the new and Dune film that's just come out is, is, is very good as a, as a remake, but, yeah, but on I'm a not a Dune fan, exactly. so I have no idea. On a level of Dunism, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? Is it any good? Yes, yes. Or is it just another, what would you call it? it it's basically a test of patience and tolerance <laughs> over a period of three hours. I yes. mean, I don't know. It's not Blade Runner. It's not that, I mean, that's the sort of uh, science fiction that I like, which is, I think, very prescient. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, For that's, sure. I, I do refer to Blade Runner quite a lot in the writing. Oh, do you? Yeah, okay. yeah, I do. Well, Jerry, as it's a bit of a windy day and we did okay, want to walk and talk, move. let's move. And we're moving away from Liverpool Street Station. Should we go this way? And this is your neighbourhood. This is it your is. London neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I'm 10 minutes from home. But were you were you born around this neighbourhood? No, or I was you... born south of the river. Oh, were you? Yeah. So I, I was actually born in um, St Thomas's Hospital, Lambeth. Oh, my goodness. OK, opposite... The Fair first enough. building that I ever worked in in London when I came to London from Edinburgh, so there we go. <laughs> what, go on. And it's the building, well it was an accountancy firm called Ernst & Winnie at the time, which is now amalgamated into this... Ernst uh, Young. Ernst Young, and it's been... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They but sponsor a lot of uh, art at the Tate, don't they? They do, yeah, yeah. that's right. So oh, there's a connection there then, yeah, yeah. but there's also the statue out front which is meant to be a nurse's hat, some people said. Really? But I could never quite get it <laughs> so maybe, maybe you know more about it but oh, you don't so uh, no I don't I've, I've really I'm quite ignorant of south of the river considering I was brought up in Battersea so before we moved then to Surrey and then eventually Torquay in Devon which is uh, back to your father's roots well, he was actually born in Scotland. Oh, was he really? Oh, he's yeah, a, he's, is he a Scot? Yeah, he's a Scot, so I will be applying wow. for that passport okay. when it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what uh, Nicola Sturgeon's up to. I <laughs> no, don't I don't know. think anybody does, really. I Neither does she. Is she good or bad? I've <laughs> got no idea what's going on. Anything's got to be better than what we've got. <laughs> well, um, yes. But, yeah, there are many uh, opinions on that one as well, aren't there? There so. is. Uh, <laughs> so he, he was born where in Scotland? Yeah, he was, he he was uh, Dumfries. Okay. A place called Friars Venel, and um, his father, Joseph, where did he, he moved, I don't know, I don't, it's terrible, isn't it? I don't know the full story, but he ended up in Torquay as a taxi driver. Right. This was before, obviously, before the war. Yes. Um, before the Second World War. And uh, the, uh, my father had a sister called Edna, she lives in the States. Yeah, she, lives, she lives in America. Uh, her husband's a, a 
Uncle Brian, is, he was a very successful businessman. Mm -hmm. However, my grandfather ended up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. He was captured at the fall of Singapore. Oh dear. And um, from what I can gather, when he came home, he was, uh, he was, he was quite violent. Yes. But then my auntie Edna said he was always like that. You know when people say it was the war? Yes, I'm not yes. saying it helped, you know, in any way. It probably did contribute to his behaviour. No, it probably behavior. perpetuated it, yeah. And um, he got into quite a lot of trouble. And it was basically, the magistrates have said, or the court, your war record's not going to help you if you keep this up. You'll be in serious trouble. But it's amazing, he survived. He survived, being, um, and he ended up uh, moving to New Zealand. Did he I mean, you could, that's a the real Scottish connection yeah, as well. So. You know, he couldn't have got any further away. That's what I mean. Yeah, yes. Um, I never met him. I only ever heard his voice on a big old Grundig tape recorder. Every so <laughs> often he would send tapes over. Yeah. And it was like a big deal if he phoned up. But oh, I, wow. never, I never met the guy. Right. I mean, I did hear stories about him. My dad idolised him, but the reality was he wasn't there for him. Really? You know, even when he was a kid. Yes, yes. And, uh, I can remember my dad in the nursing home shortly before he died. And um, he remembered the number plate of a guy, a builder, that was having an affair with my grandmother, with his mother. He suddenly blurted out, we were talking one day, he said, <laughs> Goodness. Yep, and I remember that number plate, 721-ADV wow. or something like that. That's and it amazing, was a, isn't it? That never, memory. He never, ever said any, and, and he had, you know, he had onset Alzheimer's coming he, on. Yes. He just remembered it. And, you know, this is not putting blame on my grandmother at all, mm. because you know with Japanese prisoner of war, they did not acknowledge the Geneva Convention. So the families didn't know if their men were, were alive, alive or, or dead. dead. Yes, you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. She, you know, two young children. Then she was an attractive woman. Yes. So your your grandfather came back and then he came back and then, and then there left, was and the family sort of fractured. Right. Both dad's sister Edna and my grandmother Joan ended up living in the states. Okay. Interesting, isn't it? So you and but your father stayed. He stayed. But didn't stay in Scotland. But he didn't moved. stay. In, well, no, he was brought down to uh, Devon as a child. Oh, I see. Okay. So. So I mean, how we met. I can't work out how we met. My grandmother. Is your grandmother Scottish? Or was she Scottish? No. No. She was from. I think it was Dartmouth. Okay. Right. If we go down so. here. So where are we now? We're, we're now at the at back. Street and yeah, we're at the back of Bishopsgate Police Station. Okay. This is where the Tactical Firearms Unit are based. Tactical are Firearms Group. You see them coming out like John Wayne, tactically <laughs> dressed like John Wayne with all manner of uh, weaponry on them. It's oh my goodness. Yeah, it's quite intimidating. And then it's amazing how they can even walk with it. <laughs> I all. know, I know. But uh, yeah, this is where they're all based. Okay, and then we've got this arch and a ram on top of it, so this, and it's called Cock Hill. Yeah, this is, uh, I think it's just offices. It, I've, never, I've never gone in there. I've never really had a look in there. No. Thank you. Thank you. Right, and now we're going to go down. Down the alley. Yeah, see, a lot of Cock people... Cock Hill Alley. They lose their nerve. They look down here and I they think, can't mm, see this. Well, because you can't see around the corner. They can't see around the corner. Mm. Right, oh, this is Frank a steakhouse. Here. They're yeah. everywhere now. The back streets of uh, Liverpool Street. Well, I'll tell you, strangely, and this is hard to believe, 
on a Sunday morning, and we're now coming up to Middlesex Street where Petticoat Lane Market is. Yes. I've had I've been walking up here, and a fox has come down and walked past me. <laughs> I swear to Ambling God. past you. I, yeah, but yesterday, I was coming up the steps towards St Paul's mm. from the Millennium Bridge. Yeah. And a fox just trots up over the They're steps. So tame. This aren't is they, half yeah. past six in the evening. Yes. Quarter past. This and I've looked and there's people everywhere. Yeah. Right, they're so just part of the landscape now really aren't they that and it was a healthy one really? you know yeah yes. yeah it was healthy because i used to see them in bristol and they'd be really manky mm. you know they had mange and yeah no uh well they've got a lot to eat around here haven't they <laughs> there London. is that but now we're on middlesex street right. this is the world famous petticoat lane okay so this is this is uh, this whole neighbourhood's changed so much. I oh, it's, it's incredible. Even You've since only got before look... been in lockdown, I'm sure Absolutely. more buildings have gone up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Usain Bolt's restaurant was round here. He was one of the... I uh, didn't know he had a restaurant. He did, it was here. just here. It, uh, it, and uh, due to Covid, it, it closed down. But I, yeah. think he's, I think he's got restaurants in Jamaica. I don't think Usain Bolt is short of a few, Bob, if no. you get my drift. But unfortunately, yeah, his restaurant went. Did you go? No, I didn't. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's like Ottolenghi. I took Louise there for her birthday. It's all right. It's all right. But I know where there's little hotels in Wales where you can get a steak and it's absolutely massive if that's your, if yeah. you fancy steak. Um, for half you know, and it's like you wouldn't get one portion in London for it. No. And it's, it was like we had a printer. It was to do with the, the book on my dad, The Talky Tornado. Uh, we had a printer in London and he said, yeah, 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 well, I'm interested and I'll do it. So we've gone round to see this guy and it's like a thousand pound over the odds. It was quite a lot of money. Really? He yeah. said, well, he said, that's London prices. Yeah. So we said, well, that's fine. We'll go and get Welsh prices. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm not wearing it like a badge of honour. So what? Paying all this money up no, here, you know, it's know. madness. It is it that is. I've been here, that I've done it, I've managed. You know, it's like the salt buy guy. I mean, he's closed down now, isn't he? The restaurant where you can pay seven hundred pounds for a steak. Can you believe this? Seven hundred and ninety pounds for a steak. Outrageous. Well, you wouldn't get me in there. Twenty-four but You must gold. have to be. <laughs> you must have to be. Have your head looked at if you're going to pay that amount of money. I mean, <laughs> or people uh, have got more money than sense. Than sense that, which They've is, got the dough. There's a lot of money sloshing around at the moment. And, there um, is, but it's, you know, it's not But with, it's not uh, going to be around for long, I don't think. It's not sort of, how can I put it, ordinary people no. it, as such. No. And then you've got credit. Yes. I mean, I go up and I, you know, look at my account or whatever, and they're offering me, like, you're eligible for a loan of, you know, it's tens of thousands. Yes. It's like... Uh, and but I've, it's dangerous, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just for a laugh the other day, I sent off for an Amazon card because I thought I could save £40 pounds on whatever. I, <laughs> I read it all wrong. Uh, and obviously, there's not a cost to it. But it was just immediately approved. And, oh, yeah, good, there's five grand. I mean, imagine if I was crazy. Yes, well, I, yeah. I am, but not around spending money. No, no, I know. Right, this is interesting. Straight the coal, the poultries. I keep meaning to go in there and get chicken from there. But... What I'm showing you is this. Trading as Liverpool Street Chicken. This is where it's changing. It's okay. really changing. And I was looking at a plan online today, Tower Hamlets Council, and it's mentioning Middlesex Street, all this. Do not be surprised if these shops suddenly start becoming designer. I'm talking about Gucci. Really? Place. I'm being serious. Because the market, it's not 
as I remember markets as a kid, my dad had a market over at Vauxhall selling small fridges in the 60s. Yes. That's another story. But you had the China King, where he'd mm -hmm. be throwing the China in the air and saying, I'm not asking four pounds, I'm not asking three pounds. You know what I mean? Then you'd have people selling cake or whatever. You had Indians selling the brassware, but you had characters. They were like a show. It was yes, a performance. Yeah. Yes. All you've got now is, you know, Mrs. Five Pound, you know what I mean? This, that, Tao's Mrs. There's no, it's just, it's boring. It's just mm. rag, really. It's just rejects from Marks and Spencers. I mean, there's some good stuff if you know what to look for. Yes, yeah. You know, I'm not saying that, but, the, you know, the characters have all gone. gone it's yeah. just, and the shops, you'll notice there's quite a lot of nail bars, things like that. Once they start coming in and the massage parlours, it usually means there's a short lease. This is my, I might be totally wrong on this, but this is my thinking on it, mm. which means it's ripe for development. Right. You know, yeah. it's similar to social housing. Yeah. People yeah. do not want homeless families put in their blocks, which sounds really awful. And do you know why? Because they're not given proper tenancies. Mm. So the people are grateful for this short term solution. But the deal is, the housing association or the council will say, when we say you've got to go, you've got to go. go. So, no so it does nobody any good. Yeah. So they fill no enough of them, they get enough of them in the block, mm. they can then go right with developing this block, mm. everyone out. And it's the same, I, I believe, see. with the shops. Yes, if yeah. they're short term mm. leases, they can then go for it. But it's interesting what they're doing around here, which leads me up to what I'm going to show you now. Okay. But as we go round, I mean, look at this, you've got bikes in here, yeah. which cost as much as a six-year-old Volvo, you know what I mean? This is I a push bike. <laughs> then you've got this. I still got my bicycle that I had when I was 14 years old. Yeah. Well, I've got a one. bicycle. I paid for it. That, apart from cycling it up to Hackney and back to get it put right, I haven't really used it. No. But Confa Karnak, which is interesting because it's all about therapy. Is it? It's all about high-end sort of academic therapy, therapy. books. A fresh look at uh, psychoanalytical technique, selected papers on so Lacan and other heresies. You know what I mean? It's it, it, they're yeah. they're specialist books. Yes. There's also, yeah. I believe, um, a lecture theatre that you can rent in there. We're in the East End of London. Yeah. We're in. I mean, this is unbelievable. You know, I'm not. It's, so not, I'm not, it's, it's just not, not the East End of London that you remember. It's totally yeah. changing. Yes, yes. Then we've got next door. I mean, you look across the road. Therapy, a clinic. Chalfen, I don't even know what that is, old treatment mortgages, rooms, treatment rooms. rooms, there's a hair shop holding on, yeah. probably the deli's holding on. Yeah, then the you've deli. got this outdoor... Action and travel. Coltswold, the shop. Oh yes. Then we come round here, oh they used to be public toilets, they'll probably eventually be turned into a cocktail bar. So all those old, <coughs> uh, so we're looking at some um, traders these um, stalls come stalls. out they come out do they? On, yeah what, what, when Saturday do they nights their... they're dragged out and they're put on allocated pitches okay. but now this is interesting we're just going to go up here right now what do you see on the other side of the road apart from nails and beauty right, you've got the nails lobster and beauty, munger the lobster munger Enter enterprises yep and time and novelties yep that is a facade Oh, yeah, yeah right. it is, isn't there, isn't it? That used oh, yeah, to be... there's nothing in there, is there? There used to be... It was an import-export, but watches, tap, you know, the sort of things that people buy there. There was also Moo, the steakhouse in there. I okay. remember going for a meal. What that is, is a gallery. Is it? Yeah, yeah, so behind, if I'm right, the whole back of it is like a gallery. Okay. I might be wrong on it. 
but it's it's a facade. It, it, well, it's not a facade, as in, of, you've heard of the gentle author, haven't you? <clears throat> the guy that writes Spitalfield Life. It's worth oh, yeah. checking out. Yes, yeah. He published a book on it, facadism, right. yes, and yes. I can show you. Yes, a, it is. So yeah. that is in, in the the sense of, and you know what facadism yeah, is about. Yeah, I certainly do. Yes. Um, an example of it's up Caledonian Road. It's usually student accommodation. And do you know why they get away with it on it? Because they're not occupied more than 34 weeks of the year. Mm. You would not be allowed to have a facade like that on mm. the front of a building because it restricts light. Yeah. If somebody was living there all the time, this is all the sort of crap these uh, Tory governments have been putting through. Yeah, yeah. It's the same as uh, the put another room in your attic or a shed in the garden property developers are using it to convert offices badly I may say badly and so they can legally get away with putting rooms together with no windows yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'll just quickly show you this the question mark is with the offices though is whether we're actually going to need as many offices as we do now that the whole absolutely. whole kind of style and way of working has changed literally overnight and more yeah. people are working from home and enjoying working from home and Companies are, are trusting people to work from home as well. And, but also lots of people are leaving large businesses and going into business by themselves and finding other ways to make money. So I don't know the, whether they've started to develop something that's actually going to be a, a white elephant before it's even finished. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've witnessed walking through the city, like I'm talking about off the back of the Bank of England through the lanes there, you know, on a Sunday morning on my way to the Tate, and they're clearing out offices. Yeah, the box yeah. files of da da da. You know, these are obviously lawyers or whatever. The reason I've brought you here mm -hmm. is over down here, if we go down here a little bit. So, some lovely old textile uh, Indian uh, like sari uh, materials and elegant textiles. All over there, city well being. This has oh, just yeah. sprung up as well yeah. counseling services, psychotherapy, mm -hmm. training. Yeah, you know this is, so then you look at that over there it's more is it more than coincidence mm, mm. now all these they're uh, I think it's called um, wax print I don't know enough about it Wentworth Street but this is these are famous Getzner um, and Holland wax you know these yeah. are the, the, the uh, it's predominantly African women that run the, the businesses down here. Down here but the yeah. reason I'm mentioning this, Holland, I don't know enough about it. The estate I live on is called the Holland Estate. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't see how it be anything to do, I might be wrong, to do with fabrics, uh, uh, even though all the silk weavers were, thank you. Thank you. All the silk weavers were around in this area. Yes. Uh, the, um, uh, Huguenots. Yeah, the Huguenots, that's right. Um, There's one street, isn't it, that's mainly, they've managed to retain the Huguenot, the houses, yes. But, I mean, that's something else that's on the other side of, yeah. uh, yeah, on, on the other side of this road. Mm -hmm. um, over Commercial Street, going down, um, like, Hanbury Street. No, it's not so much Hanbury Street. Fornia Street, where Gilbert and George live. Yeah. Um, but what people don't realise is a lot of those houses look like these at one point. Yes, they yeah. had shop fronts, yes, so the fronts on them are false. They were 99-year leases. You know, Dan Cruikshank talks it up like it's all fabulous, and he's right. Thank God he did what he did yes, when he did it. Yes. 
but they were jerry built they were 99 year leases mm. they were wooden partitions within them they weren't well built no they're um so it's a miracle that, that they've they, lasted they, as long. That, you know that they well people have taken them on and they've cherished them which yeah, is great yeah i don't think i've ever walked down this street have before. you never been no down no no there? so this is a market wentworth street market is every day of the week petticoat it? lane yeah i mean it's petticoat all called lane. petticoat lane, lane isn't it I mean, on a Sunday, it's packed. Yeah. Oh, nice smell of food there. Thai food. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about diet earlier. <laughs> we were, weren't we? Um, <laughs> Let's not go there. The but you see, yeah. like Holland textiles. Yes. Because it was all Dutch. Dutch. It of was course, it, yeah, the wax yeah, yeah, prints. Yes. But I've got a. From what I can gather, the connection with Holland Estate. I've got a horrible feeling it's to do with a landed sort of, uh, I don't know, landed gentry. It was a titled family. They also owned massive tracts of land over at Kensington and Hammersmith mm -hmm. because it was all open. Yeah. It was like parkland. And I don't know if this was part of it, that they owned part of this land. I'd like to think it's something to do with Holland print, and, yes. but I don't think it is. I think okay. it's to do with that. Even though the social housing the houses around here the uh, the blocks are predominantly named after clergymen are uh, they? yeah they are i mean the one that i live in carter house it was originally i've got original plans of it that i, I bought from the uh, metropolitan archive you know they'll do like a copy for you and on the original london county council plans it had booth house mm -hmm. and booth house was scratched out and it's got Carter House written in its place. Everything round here was called Booth at one point because Booth was the guy that started, him and his sister was it? Or the, his, he started the Salvation Army. So there was so, yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. couldn't swing a cat without hitting something called Booth. <laughs> now Carter, Ernest Carter, had a church near Toynbee Hall. The church was demolished during the war, but he and his wife went down on the Titanic he led the prayers on the deck as the Titanic was going down. So I'm named, the block <laughs> I live, live in is it's named, named after, after some dear old guy that went down on the My Titanic. Goodness. But I believe he was originally from Plymouth. Okay. But, uh, and Barnet House on the other side, if we go down this way. Sure. Barnet House on the other side. Oh, this is my, uh, it's my mate Shams. All right, Shams. All right, mate. Can we meet up at some time? That would be lovely. Thank you. It's your neighbour, is he? Yeah, he's an accountant. Uh, he's a very bright man. He's also he also does a bit of boxing. A bit of boxing. Yeah, he okay. does a bit so of boxing. Which yeah, we'll talk about this. But I, I want to talk about boxing and your father's boxing career as yeah, well. Yeah, but I'll just I'll just tell you about Barnet House. Yes. Because it's relevant. Over there yes. is Toynbee Hall. Okay. And Barnet, isn't it terrible? I can't remember his first name. It was him. Hold on, I made a note of this because it is important. Yeah, he was an Anglican priest, social reformer. He established Toynbee Hall with his wife, Henrietta, in 1884. Yes. Uh, now, Toynbee Hall was like an experiment. This is where you've got Oxbridge graduates coming in the first time working with poverty in the East End. Right. And then, of course, you've got Jack London, people of the abyss later on. Yeah. So it took an American, really, to point out just how bad it was for the British working class. Yeah, yes. Uh, and the uh, irony is... Is it irony, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't the blonde beast, wasn't he born in New York? 
Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> uh, yes. That's my dentist. They're fabulous. Dr. Sammy. Dr. Sammy. Yeah, Ghanaian. This is fabulous. I've got to say it. This is a new development by Curio or whatever called Our Place. And it's in a sort of uh, Art Deco style, which yeah. has got really no relevance to here because this is all Neo-Georgian. Mm. If you look at the pediments you yeah. see above the yes, and you'll yes. notice this when you look at the estate yeah. of Holland Estate. It's all that Neo-Georgian architecture, but it seems to work. It, I've got to say it works. Yes, and yeah. they've used this white tile yeah. and they look like black crittle windows, you know, they like do. those metal yes. frames. 1930s. Yeah, where you used to have to put towels on the mantel, but you know what I mean? Because yep. of all the condensation. Yes, yeah. But again, look at those colours that are similar to those muted colours we saw on those facades mm. over... I see what you do mean. Do you see so what I mean? Kind of Continuity. Yeah. It's similar like style, a colour scheme that... Yes. Bring the whole neighbourhood together through colour. Yeah. To make it all connected. But I think but it's done quite tastefully yes. with the London brick. Mm. And then look at this. I mean, I've got to say, this has got to be one of the best developments I've seen. So I mean, this if is it, all one? This, yes, this is all one. They've gone up another level to two levels. Because where we are in Tower Hamlets, yeah. how they got away with that massive Nido building, which is like 38 stories, that was criminal. Mm. But it's over that side. Yeah. To, and I'm no good at direction here, so I'd be no good finding my way around New York. <laughs> However, you and me both. there is a ruling that buildings, their elevation mustn't interfere with the eye line towards the Tower of London. That's right. There's some yes. weird malarkey yes, around that's that. True. Yep. Now they've gone up two here mm -hmm. above what was here, which was shops, okay. which was mentioned in Pez, I can never pronounce it. Pevsner. Pevsner's mm -hmm. Historical Guide, yeah. Buildings Guide. Yeah, yes. Because they were, they were workshops. Yes. And then they were later shops. There was Conway Trading, which I believe up until the, uh, the mid 80s, it was socks and gents underwear, stuff like that. Right. There was a restaurant, I think it was called the Lahore down on the end. Mm -hmm. But talking of foxes again, I'd come out of here at night sometimes and, and my headlights would pick up the foxes' eyes really? coming out because they all lived yeah. in there. There were loads ah. of foxes in there. So, so I don't know where been, the foxes um, they've went. Been they've been decanted. decanted but yes. to where, I don't know. They could have gone over to Itchy Park, which is next to Spitalfields Church. Okay. And it was called Itchy Park because a lot of the homeless guys lived there. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, and there were like tea stalls and things around here. But I mean, it's all, it's not that quaint anymore, is it? You no. know what I mean? It's all... Well, it seems it's a sort of a place in transition. It's neither one thing nor the other at the moment, is it? Well, it's certainly not a poor area, let's put it that no. way. Uh, oh. I mean, we had to fight to stay here in a way. Did you? Yeah, yeah, they did. So, and this is like a, also it's a market, what is this then? This is like a... This is the, the, the so-called local oh. pub. The local pub, okay. This is um, the Duke of Wellington. But I think it's part of a, a pub portfolio. So you've got, yeah, you've got these really tall building. That building in front of That's is, is the a one. bit of a but monstrosity. You see, absolutely. But you see the eye line. It's not going to interfere with that because it's in, the, what is that? So that's west, isn't it? Going yeah. west. Yeah. So it's not going to interfere with it. This is where I live. This is Carter House. Oh, this is Carter House. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of, com well, you're completely um, 
overshadowed by this building here. But opposite, see that's the soup right, kitchen. Right, this is the Jewish, the Jewish soup kitchen. Yes. So now, I wonder whether the children came here first uh, when they came from Liverpool Street. I don't know. Actually, I've never thought of that. But there were still 500 people on its books when it closed in 1991. And they fed the Gentiles as well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't uh, exclusively Jewish. Jewish. And you see the um, tour guides outside. I, I earwig on what they're saying sometimes. <laughs> I, have to look I it think up. his name was Isaac Solomons. I can't think how to describe this. The stonework is yeah. like a light colour, it's sandy coloured it on is. the bottom, isn't yes, it? Yeah. With a red brick. And the pediments and window frames are still in that sort of light. It's yeah. not like a Portland stone. I no, don't no, know no, what it's it is. It's a terracotta. It's a terracotta. Yeah. But um, like. I've been into the, the uh, there's a lady on the top. She uh, let me take photographs from that, from her flat. They mm. bought that off plan in 1993, I think. Did they? Yeah. And is it all, is it offices or is it? No, it's all private apartments. It's all private apartments. The one we're looking at now, straight here with the combination sort of lock on it, yes. which is the main, the entrance, main entrance. And I think that's the Jewish new, it's the Jewish calendar yeah. abo above there, oh, which yeah. is in the year 1902 but it translates to theirs which is like 5662 mm. which I, you know my ignorance I don't know what it is but the font's interesting as well yes. which is very nouveau yeah, yeah. Um, I love the way it's there's a way in and a way out yeah well. yeah but this particular apartment which we're looking at now the mm. double fronted one with mm -hmm. the door in the middle nine there's a basement I've been in there as well mm. uh, that was some years ago there were builders in there they let me go in and have a look around and they were asking something like 1.8 million for it wow. then uh, it's now a dance studio there's people Is coming it? they do oh. dance well they, they they're doing dance in yeah, there yes. um, and interestingly the um, do you remember that banker that that got sent away back in about 2000 2013 no. he was a black guy that's oh. why everybody sort of, you know what i mean i, I mean it makes me wonder if it, if he was sort of locked up because of that fact i'm you know i mean i don't know but he basically was a trader right and it's one of those things if you get away with it good oh if you don't mm. you know what i mean mm. i mean but this guy got time for it but he actually rented that and everybody had nothing but good things to say about oh, it really? he was yeah, yeah apparently a decent bloke by oh. all accounts okay. but then i don't know if i was living it high on the hog i might be but uh <laughs> Yeah, but it, yeah, he lived in there. So your block is it's this here. 19. This is the 60s? first block. This was finished in 1928. Oh, 28. Wow. 1928. Okay. Um, and they wanted to. Uh, this is great. I checked this out at the London Metropolitan Archive, and this is sort of that days of empire. They wanted to use nothing but British materials. That's why we've got uh, Canadian pine. In some really? of the floorboards, yeah, yeah. So it's Days of Empire, ah. isn't it? So it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. it's come from Scotland, no. is it? But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's London brick. Is Stuck it Fettel? The, the brick, I can't. Commonwealth, yeah. yeah. This is a stock. There's a stock. It's a stock brick. It's a stock brick. And then you've got then around the windows and everything. They've they've used um, like a rubber brick, as they call it. But again, yeah, look, nice. you can see the pediments where the, the style of it. Yes. Where, yeah. Because you wonder, well, how is it? You know, neo George, but it is. And you look at the the, uh, the roofs. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like Pantol. It's not though. It'd be diabolically expensive if it was Pantol. <laughs> yes. These only go up like one, two, three, four stories yeah, here. Quite... But uh, you know, there's, there, there was talk of a consultation 
to, de to demolish it. Mm. This was in 2013. And then East End Homes decided to uh, basically refurbish the blocks. They did a lot of work. They put in a water pumping station. Mm -hmm. They're also, uh, they're now looking at putting in lifts, which were promised to the original residents when they were uh, Tower Hamlets Council. Okay, that's what I was uh, going to ask you. And it handed over to the Housing Association right. with the provisio that they put in lifts and they do this. And I think, we like to think they're getting round to doing it now. Mm. I've got to East say, End Homes. East End Homes, I've got to say, you know, I'm part of the estates inspection. I do it with the housing officer who's become a friend at Edgar Tannoy. Mm -hmm. And as housing associations go, they've been good. Mm. They, okay. they have listened. I mean, there, there has been, you know, we've had our ups and downs with them. There's been the bawling, the shouting, the walking out, all that carry on, dirty looks and the rest of it that goes with, you know, mm. these things happen. But generally, yes. the, the, you know, as housing associations go and considering where we are, and what's at stake here as well. They've been pretty good. And it's interesting that you're the, no, the, the signage there, so you've got no ball games, and then it's written in Arabic. Bengali. Bengali. But I, pre okay. I presume, I'm saying it's, what would it be, Sanskrit? I'm, I'm not sure, mm. I'm ignorant. I'll have to ask my mate Kabir. Mm. He's up on the top. Kabir, my so pal, it's very, there. It's, it's very significant or symbolic well, yeah. of, of the, the neighborhood that's the here, ne isn't it? The, the interesting thing is this. What people forget when they see there's, I mean, there's a, we'll have a call to prayer going on in the back in oh, a minute, okay. right? You yep. can see it from mine. Um, no one wanted to live here. No mm. one, these places were slums, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And you had people coming in from, it's a particular, I think it's Salet, it's called in Bangladesh. There's a big community that they know families like back home that live here now. But when they were living here, no one wanted to live here. and. I don't know what would have happened if they hadn't have moved in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If these immigrants hadn't have moved in and regenerated the area, yeah, yeah. because what, and looked after what, the would, have, what well. would have happened? Yeah. Well, no, they were. I. This is part of the, the issue. They were grateful for what they got, yes. and they didn't kick up. And in some ways, they were manipulated. Mm. You know, they'd get the elders that would be part of the housing or the councils and they'd, they'd do what they were told basically because they didn't know any better. Mm. Then you've got the second generation, third generation come along, my mom, Shamsa, we just saw down there who's an accountant, da, da, da. you know, they've realized, hold on, things aren't quite right here. Yes, da, da, da. Yeah. And they've started like, when they <clears> put a demolition order, everybody got together. You know, it was like everybody on the estate. Yeah, and you've got people yes. from all over living on the estate, but it's predominantly, the older residents are Bengalis, mm -hmm. okay. uh, and before that, it would have been they would have been Jewish. Right. So right. it's you know it's been Huguenots, Jews from the pogroms, Eastern Europe, the Bengalis, and then the Bengalis break down into the Asian sort of co the components of Sikhs, Indians, electrical goods, Pakistani leather workers. From what I can gather, I've got a pal, Kamal, his dad was a leather worker. I'm not saying they were all, but that seems to be one of the skills. Sure. And also with the Bengalis, it was, uh, they created the kitchens, the canteens for okay. the food, the cheap food or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a history to be written just oh, it's of this Oh, no, it's fabulous. Of this building I mean, you go up, just go up from my side, right? So Kabir on the top, he's a teacher, know him, 
he's from Morocco. He is doing computer computer studies and works at Pizza. I'm in there. Yes. That you know, what I mean, it's and Kabir's dad lives next door to yeah. him. So there's a there is a sense of community. Mm. I mean, we've had all sorts. Yeah, I've had pop up brothels and all. It's been terrible. Next, I'm serious. It'd all be very discreet, but you knew what was going on. Yeah. Uh, this is the call to prayer. And kind. now, yeah. And now um, I have uh, three students from um, the Barbican Music School mm-hmm. living next door asking me if their cello and violin disturbs me. Oh, Can you believe it? And I said, you know, How I couldn't. I just so. looked at them and thought, I can't explain to you very quickly what I've had to put up with you, you know? And this so is Tim, how, he's a scriptwriter that lives there. Okay, and how... Mrs. Ali lives there. How did you end up being here? I had a housing association flat in Bristol, mm-hmm. and I had done a couple of readings. The first book we brought out, Lubin Tales, we'd come up to, the, was it the Wapping Project? Okay. Where you sat in the greenhouse, the bookshop? Not there anymore. Oh, okay. I don't think it is. So I'd done, I'd done some readings there. Yes. Um, I can't remember where else. And the reason I stayed over near, it was in Bloomsbury, it was near the hairdressers where Kenneth Williams was born above. We oh, stayed really? in a bed and breakfast or a hotel around the corner. And Louise said to me, because we were both living in Bristol then, why don't you think about getting a place in London? Mm. And I thought, well, it's easier said than done. What, yes. ch- what chance have I got of doing that? And I put up on Home Swapper to cut a long story short. A woman who was an artist who lived in this flat. Yes. And the irony of it being, I wouldn't have had this flat if the Olympics hadn't happened. Oh my goodness. Because she lived in a cooperative. Right. Up at Stratford. Mm-hmm. Take our shoes off. Yeah. And um, please come in. Yeah, don't walk too fast because we're oh, attached okay. by cables. Okay. Um, yeah, just let it go. Okay. Yeah, I'll just put them in. Thank you. She lived in a cooperative up at Stratford. Shall we just stop for a second then? Right. And then... Yeah, then get established. Yes. Okay, so we've come into your, your house now. To the abode. To the abode. And the call to prayer is going on outside. outside which yep. is lovely. In the court, takes me back in to the my courtyard. Vulcan days. Yeah. In the courtyard. And we were talking about how you ended up here in Liverpool Street. We're a stone's throw from the city. Mm. There's a saying, when you're in Wentworth Street, which we walk down, where all the African wax shops are, the print shops predominantly, if your foot is in the gutter, you're in Tower Hamlets. If your foot is on the pavement, you're in the city. (laughs) It's that close. You know what I mean? The city is literally just around the corner. Uh, oh, and at the end of this road, yes. uh, she's moved out now. But Tracy Emin, that was her studio. Oh, was it? The Tentagram. She Margate. did all that. She did all that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I mean, that's a, a great legacy she left, really. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, and then she, in the rondels on the roof, it's Tracy Kamal Emin. So it's in gold letters. And I remember I'm mentioning that because she told me that at the tape. I spoke oh, to her. Yeah, oh, yeah, that yeah that this was got. before she was ill. So we were talking about. The I swapped. There was there was a there was a woman. Uh, she was an artist that lived here, and uh, she'd been part of a cooperative at Stratford. When the development of the Olympics occurred, they basically offered her a deal. So she ended up with this flat. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but she had family in Bath mm-hmm. and she wanted to move to Bristol, but right. she didn't want to be that close to them. She wanted a distance. Yes, yes. Um, so she saw the flat that I had in Bristol. She liked it. I came up here, saw her flat. I said, yeah, let's swap. And that was it. Well, she said, let's swap. Wow, that's um, brilliant. And this front room, I mean, it's all carpeted now, but it used to have blackboards on the floor. And they had all in, it was, there was indentations all over it. And she mm-hmm. told me it was from the original West End production of Stomp. <laughs> it, been, it was part of the stage, because they just oh have to change the stage. Yes, of course it would. The stage it? floor every so often there or whatever. Go. So this whole block of flats is full of artists, you as an author, carpenters, accountants, leather workers, a, a real medley of from around the world as well of, of people and culture. There's still quite a lot of uh, Bengalis on this side and there's quite a lot of working guys that are mm-hmm. deliver, delivery riders and they're out on all, all weathers and all hours and there's like four or five of them living to a flat. So it's not all exclusively. There's a lot of essential workers around here as well right, that I know. Is, yeah. yeah, absolutely. My mate Halau, he's a bus driver. He's training. He, he's doing the knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to be a cabbie. Um, there's an, another pal of mine over there, Mohammed. He works in student support services over the road. Um, the guy we saw earlier, Shamsa, he's an accountant, as I mentioned. Kabir upstairs is a teacher. So there's a guy downstairs, he's a script writer. So there's still a mix yeah, yes. next door. They're musicians mean, at the Guildhall Music Studio. So, you know, it's great. Mrs. Ali, she's elderly. Her husband died about five years ago, Mr. Ali. So, you know, the community keeps an eye on her. Yes, you know, yes. she's looked after. The Housing Association are aware she's on her own and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it, there's a good sense of community here as well. But yeah. it's not all exclusively... So, I mean, there's an MP's son or daughter that we can't mention their surname who's, who owns one of the flats over there. Okay. Uh, not of any interest. They're all boring, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, the fact that this face is show business for ugly people, isn't it? <laughs> but um, moving on from that. Moving on. Let's talk a bit about your books. Yeah. Because we met initially. Through, oh, it was fabulous. It was through John through Lynch. <laughs> It was a chap was, called John that's Lynch. That's right, John. Uh, and course. he's a decent. Yeah. Hello, John, if you're listening. Yeah, a, a decent fellow. Yes. He's always championed me. Yes. Um, and he in he introduced you to the shop. He did. That's right. I'd he forgotten did. He that. did. Sorry, John. And through that, we who's started... a friend of my pal Harry? Okay. I met John through Harry. Okay, I don't think um, I've met Harry. I don't think you've met Harry. He's a psychotherapist. Okay, I don't think but, he came uh, to the shop. Maybe he did, and if he did. Yeah. Um, I, don't I think he would have. He probably, probably would have, have popped over there. But, but the shop was fabulous. Oh, it was you. a lovely shop. I do miss it I, in yeah, many ways. Yeah, yeah, over at Waterloo. Uh, yes, yeah. by Lower Marsh. We sold two of your books at that time. It yeah. was Smoke and Other Tales and, and Lubin Tales. Tales. Yeah. And also your cards. The cards. Which, which we sold quite a lot of those. Yeah. Cards. I wish and you were still there. Oh, so do I in some ways. I'm too lazy to go out and tout <laughs> them around. Explain them. But, but you... um. The, the style of those... You've got it, though. You've sort of got it. Hmm. You know, the, in the, the cards were the starting point. Yes. With the micro-fictions on yes. the back, the images yes. on the front, and yes. the strap line. You know, my favourite one was you were weird at school and your house is filthy, <laughs> but you're still my friend. Yes. And there's a short story on the back. The cards created Lubin Tales. Is that how it happened? And it fleshed out, the stories were fleshed out, and the characters, the Poodle Faker, the Stealer, and, 
And these were characters based on people I'd known or experiences that I'd been through or whatever. Yes. Uh, and I think it's the same with any writers. How mm. can you say this is fiction and this is that? You know, it doesn't come out of nothing. No. Even, you know, coming back to science fiction, it's going to manifest itself in something, even if it's like the theme of the story or uh, like a linear narrative. It's got to hook itself on something. Sure. There's got to be some basis in there of fact. It's not pure fiction. Mm. You're making the whole language up, the landscape, everything. It relates to something. Yeah. You know, yeah. so... So the style of those books, the two books, uh, Lubin, Lubin Tales and Smoke, Smoke and Other, and other Tales. Tales. One, one has the, the barber's chair on the front yeah, of the yeah, book, yeah. and the other one has, a, has a, the image of the, of the gherkin, as, of the, we, as yeah, we yeah. call it. Um, but it was taken from the balcony of social housing. Okay. So yeah. that shot, even though I say it myself, is quite clever because it covers housing, education, and the financial district. Yes. Because within it, you've got the London... There's their... Oh, is it London Metropolitan University? But that's the shot from that balcony, and then you see the gherkin. Mm -hmm. And how it's even changed. That was shot, what, six years ago, that photograph? There's other buildings around it now, the Skullpool. Mm. All these other high-rises have gone up, yes, you know, financial yes. institutions. Yes, yes. And the, the, the books themselves, again, were... Almost like short tales or short stories, yeah, yeah. but there was a connect. A, there was a, a theme running through them, as I remember. Yes, that connected the poodle faker to yeah, yeah. the other characters. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yes. It was sort of set in down at heel South Coast resorts like Torquay, mm. and uh, the sort of characters that were drawn to those places. So, uh, how can I put it? They're like quite dysfunctional, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, antique dealers, right? Uh, people like that, unorthodox businessmen, and it's sort of not. I wouldn't say it, it's like a faded grandeur. Mm -hmm. It's like something that it doesn't exist anymore in those areas. And I tried to capture it. You know that the the the, um, the ambience of a bedsit, things which you're not going to see anymore, coin-fed meters, mm. the sort of carpets with Vesta curries, <laughs> the shared skeletal sort of cooker. In yeah. a really sort of, you know, the, the, you know, the Rip Lino sort of uh, kitchen, um, not not necessarily slums, but that's how it was with bedsits and yes. the sort of people that were there, sort of in those circumstances. The irony of that actually is that this this new phase of vintage, yeah, it almost is a reflection of that, but in a very different. Well, they try setting. too hard now. Yes. Yeah. It's not genuine. No, it's not at all. It doesn't have a purpose. It's like, uh, God rest him, there was an old guy upstairs, I forget his surname, that was next to Kabir, an old Asian uh, gentleman, and he passed away a couple of years ago. But he was having his flat done up, mm. and the stuff that was coming out, paraffin heaters, cookers from the 1950s. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this was out the front. This is in like... 2016 2018 i mean i took photographs of it yeah, yeah you know to him it was normal and every day and to yeah. me i could relate to this yeah you yeah. know i could remember you don't sit on top of the paraffin here you don't put the tea towels on it unless you want a flower sort of burnt print of you know the <laughs> yeah. vents of the heat you know stuff like that it sort of took me back but it had a use yes it yeah. wasn't just for 
you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, in an advertising agency, they might have one in the corner gathering mm. dust, like a chopper bicycle. Mm. You know, all that sort of stuff. They're like triggers for memory, aren't yes. they? And all that's associated with it. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. And that's where, I mean, the title of your new book, which came out in September. Yeah. Come, come back to me come and back go to me away. And go away again. Come back to me, then go away. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to forget the title, but it's but that, that come memory? back to me. Is it like come then go away? Is that, is that yeah, it's like remember it, it and let it go. And then let it go. But that's been so. like the whole book. Yes. You know, it was to, it was a to get a publisher, because everything else had been self-published and kick-started, and I was given support in with Smoke and Other Tales by Will Self graciously doing a 500-word introduction. Mm. Um, so it sort of validated the writing to a degree, and I felt that you know I can only it's only one way to go, and that's to get better. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's so, a, so tangent books picked, and tangent books picked, picked up, up on it. Richard Jones, who's based in Bristol, it tends to be you know it's sort of uh, can I put it socialist writers, or it's been like the history of Bristol. It's been it's been rather Bristol centric. There's also a connection with Stanley Donwood and Radiohead and also with Banksy. He published one of the books, is uh, Home Sweet Home, which has been very successful. But I was lucky in that Richard stood by me and said, basically, you write the book. And obviously, mm. if it's up to scratch, I'll publish it, which okay. was a fabulous thing to do. So where did you start with that book? Where did you... I started in Battersea. I started in Orkney Street, Battersea, and sitting in my dad's Vauxhall Vanguard. And an early memory, he'd gone into my grandmother's Nanny Lil's, uh, my mum's mum, and I was outside in the car. I think I was a bit of a handful. I was hyperactive. It would have been ADT or whatever, you know, they'd have had me on yeah. Ritalin. I had to wait until I was about 17 to discover them, but that's something else. <laughs> but I can remember going through the glove box because he was a refrigeration engineer, retired from boxing. And there was always threatening bits in the glove box for yeah. phone calls. And I'd go into the corner shop and buy these, you know, lucky bags full of sweets. And, yeah. you know, but th that's the memory. Yes. You know, it's sitting in, it was sitting in that car. It starts from there. And you've got a linear narrative that runs through the book of like, you know, being a kid and then being an adult, you know, and dysfunctional with it and uh, not exactly being a a valuable member of society at certain points. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think the book goes up to 1993. But within within these chapters, there are these fractures that are called uh, distractions, and they're set in the recent now. Mm -hmm. So they're set in the last two years, so they obviously cover lockdown. Yes. And they're observations, sort of what I'm seeing now. And I've tried to sort of put a writerly, more of a literary quality into the distractions Whereas the narrative of sort of I'm a kid and then I'm naughty and I'm an adult, that's just matter of fact. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not to glamorise anything. It's just how this is how it was. And it was a natural progression from Lubin Tales. And as you picked up on that, there was a connecting theme through these books, which was this dysfunction of the South Coast resorts. Mm and sort of refracted through London as well, early memories through these characters, which were, you know, they could have been um, fiction of the imagination, let's mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Whereas, come back to me, then go away, is like having the nerve to say, well, this is really what happened. Yeah. That, that's yeah. really what it's about. So has it been more of a, um, a release of memory? Yeah, it's been you? a bit uncomfortable, really, yeah. in that it's quite, uh, you know, it's quite revealing. And um, 
there was a lot of emotion attached to it to be able to actually review it almost and then say okay I'm going to let this go yeah or, or, and or could you let it go I suppose is the, is the question yeah I think um I think I have I uh I found some of it really disturbing to write uh and of course you know, nobody knows what's going on in somebody else's head. I could have written anything I wanted. Mm. But it's, I just didn't see the point of, you know, if you're going to change, there's got to be some honesty. Yes. You know, it's like I thought of people that would be, uh, you know, maybe critical of the way I live my life or whatever. And to them, I'd say, well, you know, it's easier to stay the same than it is to change. You know what I mean? It's dead easy to be on the straight and narrow all the way through. But that's the right way. No, it isn't. That's the way. Because I believe with a lot of people, it's that they just uh, they don't know any better. Mm. I don't mean that as a criticism, no. but that's just, you know, it's easy to criticize someone. Look what you did. Yeah. You know, it's like this whole thing that society we're living in at the moment, the way it's fractured with shame and you know, benefit cheats and God forbid, awful things like that, turning people against each other. That's basically what I'm mm. saying. Um, instead of celebrating things that, you know, well, it's, that's pretty good. You turn that round or whatever. Yes. And at the same time, I recognize that no one was ever going to stop in the rain at a bus stop and say, oh, well done. You turn your life around. Why should they? You know, people have got enough to contend with in their own lives. Mm. And when I look at things like last night, I watched read documentaries on the First World War by what would have been young soldiers mm. relating their experiences. You don't realise you've been born after you've seen things like that. Yeah. So I know how lucky I am. You know, there's that as well. There's, uh, there's a lot of gratitude, you know, that I've had the opportunity to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I just, I don't know what else to do. It's like my hobby. You know, I mean, it's like not my hobby. It's um, just comes naturally. Just... Well, once I used to drink and do whatever and take drugs and do this. And, and that's what I did. And I did it relentlessly. And that's what I did. Mm. You know, there wasn't one foot in the camp. And I went to work on a Monday and I did it. I did it all the time. Right. You know, I lived like, you know, outside of the law, I suppose. And now I don't. Mm. But you've got to have something, I believe to take that over you know i mean this you know people go to self-help groups they do whatever they do but i found art i found writing in that that's my sort of uh release it's or, my release yeah. and it's you know it's something which i believe if you keep practicing that you'll get better at it yeah. you know hopefully through your through your youth growing up did yeah. you did you write did it was it something that just came naturally to you or you would no it, did, it didn't really it decision. didn't i but it was i remember an English teacher being encouraging, you know, saying that basically you're good at this, you can do you, whatever it was. It was mm. to do with English mm. and it was a positive affirmation. Mm -hmm. And I think as a young person, whatever, I held on to that. And I remember for me what was important, I was in a children's home and I started a three-page magazine, which you did with carbon paper. You put one page carbon paper another page, carbon paper, another. So it was something like, there was like three pages. You know, I wish I had a copy now. God knows whatever happened to it. So there was always this thing, that, you know, like expressing yourself through text or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I never stopped doing it, but I'd write stuff and then destroy it all, just get rid of it. Yeah. Like starting again, photographs, I'd do it. I'd start all over again. 
you know, I, I've done that. There's so many things. There's no point in regretting it now. Photographs, jots, journals, stuff. I've just binned it mm -hmm. and started again. But uh, that's probably a good thing. You're not <laughs> filled with clutter. No, I met, I met somebody when I was traveling years and years ago, and he he didn't carry a camera. Yeah. And he never took photographs. He yeah. said, as I travel. I'm I'm taking photographs in my mind, and what the memories will be those things that stick, and yeah, yeah, and those have more um, impacts and a influence on me yeah. than, than a poignancy yeah. than, than a photograph. Yes, a photograph can be a trigger, yeah. but it was a very I mean I I take far too many photographs yeah. in comparison, but I thought it was very um, a completely different side to travel and seeing what what is the point of photography unless. It has a purpose yeah. and, a, and a meaning for you. I yeah, yeah. And and um and that we forget that the the camera in our in our heads has the whole album. But you yeah, just but have that's to hit the button. Uh, that's interesting about photography, because it's like relating it to William Burroughs and cut ups, and you can relate it to writing. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm looking at you now, but I'm not seeing just you. There's fragments around. There's all the other things that's going off it. You know, like in the edit, it's all cut up. Yeah. And it's the same in a memory. Mm. If you've got a, a photograph, you've just got oh. that, what's in front of you. Yes. Whereas if you go, what this guy was, how I'd relate to it, you'd conjure up that memory, but there'll be all the other things associated with it. It's mm. never going to be captured in a photograph. No, no. You know. But yeah, I, I'd go with that. I mean, mm. I kept records of things because I had such a bad memory, possibly. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, it's like I had a flood here during lockdown. It only affected the hallway and the bathroom, but it was from, bad oh, twice. It not your, oh, from above. From above. Oh and we got it all sorted out. It was all fine in the end. I was in Wales, I had to come up. But all I could think of was the book. As long as the book's all right, that we've got it sort of, you know, it's in the it's in the cloud or it's on the computer. Mm -hmm. That's all I could. Not all any of the possessions. Yes, it was the book, yeah. and that's genuine. Yeah. That is not. I'm just saying. All my clothes, everything. All I was thinking yeah. about was the book. Mm -hmm. You know, that's was... how important it is when I think about it. Right. The writing is so important. Yeah. You know. So where is the book going? I mean, have you? The You're... book. It was launched at the Arnolfini successfully. Um, Congratulations. Richard organised it all. Yes. And it was a fabulous night. I've <laughs> got to say, it was a fabulous night. You know, because I've wandered off and then I've come back in like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes before it started. And there were all these people and it was like, I felt like saying, well, you've obviously lost your way. <laughs> it was quite overwhelming. And then um, oh, the next morning I did my backing, but that's something else. Oh, no. Yeah, it was terrible. It was, it was whatever. But so that was great. Um, then... There was, um, I did a reading in Wales in a, it was a coffee shop arranged by a guy that ran an organic store. And that was, it was unusual. It mm. was in Lenethley and it was, it was a good evening and a pal of mine filmed it. But I know this, I mean, it sounds like sort of a lack of ambition after all the hard work that went into it. And a lot of hard work did go into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I had a mate, uh, it's a musician called Adam Stewart. He did most of the editing along with uh, Louise. You know, we'd bat and ball it back, but there was a bit of copy editing done at Tangent. But, um, you know, the hard work had been done. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think it took about three years to write the book. I think it took about three years. But it's like, 
it's achieved its goal as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, if, if some other readings come along, good -o. Um, you know, we're trying to sort something out around here in the East End uh, in association with uh, the Royal Academy. It's to do with artists having a show. Possibly I'll do a reading within that. Right. Um, and that's That'd somebody I know. And again, it's possibly with the support of East End Homes because mm -hmm. it'll be an empty shop. Right. But that's something else. And you heard it here first. <laughs> but it, I don't feel that sort of desperation to get out there because mm -hmm. I realise that, you know, I'm of a certain age open mic nights aren't going to do me any good i've got to start thinking sort of tactically about how i'm going to get my writing out there mm -hmm. and continue to do so yeah but the main thing was god bless him the support of richard jones at tangent yeah. so i've got a, a bona fide publisher mm -hmm. so that that opens the door for other things yeah and at the time at the moment it's sort of taking a deep breath as well after what we've been through sure. as we discussed earlier how it's affecting people and yes, yeah you know it's like in some ways it's like you know, in the immortal words of keith richards it's good to be here it's good to be anywhere mm. do you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. i'm just happy that things are working out as they are yeah, yeah. um there's been so much uh, sort of opportunity in that where I work part-time at the tent, I, f I found that many of the exhibitions sort of manifested themselves in the writing and they were also a comment on what's going on now. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't wedge it in there. Yeah. It was just that it sort of, it was organic. It just, it was natural. Certain things, you know, I'm thinking of Red Star over Russia which was about propaganda, which mm -hmm. was about Stalin, mm -hmm. which was about your know, political dishonesty, manipulating, you know, the media. You know, this stuff is so relevant to yeah. now. Uh, and also the Warhol exhibition. Mm -hmm. It just found its way into the writing, into predominantly the distractions. But, uh, yeah, working at Tate, that's certainly been, uh, you know, really sort of influential. It has, How it yeah. all came together. Yeah. And the people I've met there. Mm. And even during lockdown, the support, you know, the sort of community of friends, like, you know, even from a manager, like, gee, this Italian woman, she'd ring us all up saying, is everybody okay? You know what I mean? There was yeah. some genuine sort of concern there. I'd go out for walks with my mate Max. You'd find him interesting. He was in Bosnia. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a guy that went in a double-decker bus. It was clowns and theatre. Taking it into Sarajevo. Really? Into, yeah, yeah, into the kids. Have to have a chat with him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, good man. And his partner, Samantha, we'd go on these walks. I mean, one of our records was, I think, 30,000 steps one day. But this was, uh, <laughs> this was, a, this was during steps. lockdown. Yeah. Um, Anything to get out. Understood. It was to get out. And yeah. he's a photographer, as I said. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know. Uh, he used that sort of as an opportunity. So it was like living on a Doctor Who set, you know, loads of deserted streets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really bizarre. And during that period, the Tate was obviously closed as well. And, yeah. And has reopened with a, a very interesting looking exhibition, which I'm going to go and see after. It's fabulous. All these sort of blobs. Aerobes. The aerobes. The aerobes. And, yeah. and your Instagram post of that really made me laugh. The xenophobes are the uh, pentacled looking floating objects. Yeah. And the planuli are the other ones that look like potatoes. Okay. And it's a fabulous exhibition because there's an olfactory experience as well. We're in the, the smell that you'll have when you go in there today mm. is the machine age. Mm. Okay. And which is alluding to what the Tate 
modern originally was, yes. which was a power station. Yeah, the turbine. So the the turbine hall, and the um, the xenophobes, the tentacled ones, tend to heat seek to a degree. Mm -hmm. So if there's a gathering of people, oh, but they never oh, bump into each other, okay. they're programmed to stay apart and at a certain height. But the planuli move into the spaces that they move out of. Okay. And that's their own, they, the, the, their expectations are nothing else than that, right. than to move into the vacated space of. Okay. So they're non-discriminatory. They're not sort of really taking anything from anyone. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and of course, it's a relaxing experience. You know, you don't want lights and flat. I think uh, Tate Modern, our curatorial team or whatever, whoever's made this decision, it's the most, I can't think of anything else that could be, so relevant now mm -hmm. because it's so serene it's so relaxing and it's visually it's beautiful mm. it works mm. well i will go and enjoy that a okay later. <laughs> okay but um coming back to you and and your life you spent time in torquay which is where yeah. your father was and he was known as he was a boxer yes and known as the, the torquay tornado. tornado yes and was he a boxer when you were a child or was born no. after that period um, of his life? He sort of retired within a year of me being born. That's mm -hmm. the effect I had. No, I don't know. <laughs> but that, that was... Because no. he was very successful. He was very successful. He was successful, at, what, he, he was successful at one point. He was rated fifth mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, welterweight well division in this country. I think it was 1955 he was rated fifth in the UK. And it was the year of the hungry fighter. There was a lot of boxers. Mm. So he did well to do that. But he had a uh, an exploitative manager. I'm not making excuses for him because I read all this and we put the book together about his life. So I got to know this. And he was a bit lazy in some ways, but, you know, because he was pretty good at what he did. Mm. But he just didn't at, like self-promotion or the right manager. He just had this awful manager which turned him into a journeyman fighter, which was basically fighting for money. Right. It wasn't the prestige of like now they would say, right, you know, you're gonna, you'll go for this one. You'll, yeah. uh, Picking uh, and choosing. It'll be one. like, you know, th there's some sort of plan to yeah. this. Yes. There wasn't a plan, you know, I mean, it was just. And did his, did his success and then sudden kind of move away from the whole boxing yeah world. i think if I, I mean I, th I think it all ended for him really when he finished boxing he was always trying to recapture that mm. and the nearest he got to it was working in nightclubs mm -hmm. you know and these were clubs that had they still had like the resident band and comedians yeah, and, yeah. so that there was some sort of how can i put it glamour to them mm. they weren't like discos or whatever and he had pals in London that ran clubs and stuff. He had all these old friends. Um, but I think he, you know, it was always, for, for him, it was the boxing. Yeah. It yeah. was, he was a bit lost. But he did do some good. You know, we worked with him mentally and physically handicapped um, at Langton Hospital. So, you know, he, I think he did try to give something back. Did he ever encourage you to be a boxer? No, he'd take me to boxing club in Torquay and I can remember going off down the beach, uh, you know, after we'd been to the boxing club, but he never sort of, uh, you know, he didn't push me towards it. Mm. And his success as a boxer, did that have a, um, a positive effect on you and your aspirations? or what No, I don't think so, because he was, he was always the centre of attention. You know, it was very much that. Um, you know, and it's it's that generation, 
they were all damaged by the war, either their fathers or not being there or their experiences in the war. Um, and then couple that with, you know, boxing, mm. the violence that surrounds that or whatever that surrounds that. It, it, it's not exactly conventional, is it? Um, so, no, I don't think it was, uh, you know, I was probably always wanting some attention. That's what I, I reckon. Lack, yeah, and I was a, a bit of a sort of handful. You know, as I said, I think I was like, overactive, mm, mm. which would have probably done everybody's head in. <laughs> um, so, you know, but in lots of ways, he was a, you know, he was a decent guy. Mm. You know, no one's perfect. No. And I have, you know, very fond memories of my dad. But uh, you alluded to the fact that you went down a bit of a, a dark alley for a, for a while. Yeah, it was up. for it was yeah it was for, it was quite a number of years. Mm. Um, you know, it was. Uh, what triggered that? I've got no idea. Just I've sometimes got no wrong. Idea. You just took a wrong turn. It would be. It's too easy to say. You know, I was led astray because I wasn't. I don't think I was led astray. Uh, I was left to my own devices a lot. Mm. Um, you know, my mother had a lot of illness. You know. It's not a case of like my dad wasn't, into, you know, that uh, he had a lot going on in uh, his life as well. And he didn't know how to handle it. That's the truth of it. He didn't know how to be a parent in some mm. ways. Does and my mum was so ill, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm running wild. Yeah. You know, I, I remember living with a girl for three weeks when I was nearly 15. She was 17. Her mum ran a, a nursing home and she was in hospital. And uh, I, I was living with her. Mm. And I was telling my mum and dad I was helping a friend at his mum and dad's hotel in Timmouth. No one cared. Mm. No one was, for, you know, it wasn't the case. Of, I mean, it was, and she was as dysfunctional as I was. Mm. She was, And she was another grammar school girl. They always seemed to be grammar school <laughs> girls. So I don't know. I mean, she, she, she was a bright spark. Got, you know, I mean, she's dead now, Penny. Was it a lack of purpose then? Did you did you just have you didn't I didn't know really know where, what to do. Were you at school right up to? Oh, I was terrible. True, in eighteen. Or did no, you? sixteen. I left. Um, I had a Francis Barnet two fifty. I wasn't old enough to be riding the bike, and it was an art class. And I asked to use the toilet, and I got on the bike and rode off, and that was it. And never went back to school. And the truant officer came round. I said, "I've left." I said, "I'm not playing truant. I've left." Mr. Phillips, he was called. He had a big Austin. You can, you can imagine he was like a sergeant major in the army or something like that. And again, there was, um, there was a lot of like dysfunction at home. You know, I mean, I was drinking alcoholically then at 16 mm. and taking a lot of amphetamine. Um, you know, I, I was lost. That, yeah. When I look back on it, I was lost. And I, I'm sure my dad would have said, look, you've got to pull yourself. You can't go on like this, son. You know what I mean? But it was all crazy. He was working in a nightclub. You, you know, um, people would go... I mean, the, one night, four people were shot dead. You know what I mean? It was like, you're living with this craziness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was... And you, in the meantime, are just just have no direction whatsoever. There was no so, direction. So I mean, the other kids would have... You know, there's probably people that will say, well, yeah, the same thing happened to me, but I didn't turn out that way. Well, I did. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It just happened. And then, you know, next thing, I'm in Borstal. Mm. No detention centre. It was straight to Borstal. And, um, you know, I tried to achieve while I was in there. I took O-levels. Um, 
there were trades to learn, either welding or capstan. And I took the capstan laid, setting and operating. So it was like I tried to do the best I could with what I had even then. Yeah. But there was always this lure of drinking drunks. Always, you know, there was this problem that just was always, <laughs> it was always there. And I'd get out and then I'd get, then you start getting involved with drugs. And then what you do, you go to the places that produce them because you're going to get them cheaper. You can, you know what I mean? It's not about sort of uh, becoming um, some sort of successful drug dealer living in, you know, a, a large house with a swimming pool. It was about supporting a habit mm. and getting close to the source. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before that, it'd be antiques because they're high value, small items. It's, it was... So it was a bit of a, it was a vicious circle. A vicious it? circle. And mm. it was, um, as soon as I stopped doing that, I didn't want to do anything that was antisocial afterwards. Mm. In the, You know what I mean? The worst I'd get up to is maybe, I can't even say I drove a car without an MOT. Ever since, you know, I passed my test. I did all the things you're supposed to do. I've never been in trouble. Mm. You know, I... St what was the, what was the uh, having got into so much trouble, what was what was the trigger that got you out? Was it well, I had a friend. Or? I always had an interest. There was always some sort of uh, interest in the arts. There was, you know, I, uh, how can I put it? I still collected books as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can remember, God forbid, this is crazy, but I'd drive shoplifters around sometimes. And I can remember I was in Exeter one day and a friend of mine, he's called Broz, he's dead now. Uh, he said, uh, right, what would, you, what would you like? Is there anything you particularly like? And I've said, yeah, there's some books I want. And, so, and, he, and as payment for driving them around or whatever, he shoplifted these books that I wanted. I mean, this is crazy, but yeah, this is yeah, true. Yeah. You know, so that it was like, it was, I mean, it was real. You know, this, some sort of anchor to something. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's books or it's some, you know, I'm not saying fantasy, but I just felt there had to be something else. It couldn't all be like this. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I sort of, I just turned it around, mm -hmm. you know, obviously with, you know, with help and other people that are like minded supporting each other. Yeah. But, you know, I was lucky to have that. And then it was performance poetry. You know, what can you do with no money? I can write. I just need a pen and a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then somebody gives you a word processor. And then you go to, you do an access course. Then you go to university. And then all this starts receding. But you don't really want to talk about it. So you fictionalize it. Yeah. And then it takes many years before you've rinsed it through. And there's a great deal of shame because you don't want to admit to this that you did these things. And, uh, and there is that, you know, why should anyone know? But you want to, in some ways, I don't know, purge it or what? I don't know. You know, it just sort of came out in the writing. And has it come out in some ways almost, um, not comedy, but like a, oh, a certainly. dark, like sardonic smile on your face? Well, it's not all darkness. No. You know, even it's in some the... Some of it's amusing. It's you know, I can that. remember being in the back of a, you know, a Black Mariah where they used to have mesh down the middle and there was like two wooden seats either side. And we're up for Section 20. It, you know, it sounds grandiose, but international drug smuggling. And we're being taken to court. And there's a, a Liverpudlian called Davy sitting facing me. And I've got my head in my hands. And he's looked at me and he had this really great in Liverpool accent. He's gone, Jerry. He said, Jerry, fucking pull yourself together. He said, it's a great feeling when you get out. You know what I mean? 
And, and, you know, we're facing between the solicitors saying to me, the family solicitor, well, Jerry, you look at between six and eight years. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, and, you know, they're refusing bail because you've got contacts in Europe and uh, in the, on the Asian continent. And I'm thinking, I haven't even got the bus fare on me to get to the next market town. I'm standing there in a Dior suit. You know what I mean? I haven't got a pot to piss in. And it's like, what's happening? This is so crazy. And there's some local copper that remembered me from Oakhampton from when I lived there years ago. And they're almost like treating you like you're a celebrity. <laughs> or are you one of the uh, Eskimos? You've been dumb. And it's like, what have I got myself into? But if you couldn't see the humour in this, yeah, and yeah. that's when, you know what I mean, I have a deep affection for Liverpudlians mm. because... You know, for the darkest moments, when I think of some of my pals from Liverpool, they'd find they'd find humour in it. <laughs> Whereas most of them from Devon, you know, they'd want to be swinging from the rafters, missing their clotted cream and cider. No, I'm being horrible now. That's not entirely true. I found that basically people that had come from hard backgrounds. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and Liverpool in the 80s had had a right kicking mm. with, the, you know, politically. And, and a lot of these people I met, they weren't sort of evil people. You know, many of them, it was like a way to turn a penny. They mm -hmm. earned that to earn a living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the, on the other side of it, I remember working in factories in Oxford. I worked with Scotsmen that would come down, they'd go home every once a month, and they'd come down and work night shifts at Oxford Exhaust. This was in 87, when you got Tebbit saying stupid things like, get on your bike. You know, these guys were traveling hundreds of miles to earn a few quid mm -hmm. to support their families. Mm. You know what I mean? And that was at the beginning of zero hour contracts. How anyone can vote for this government is beyond me. Mm. And that's just sort of thinking about it historically. But uh, So you spent a, a number of years in prison. That was uh, a bit of a wake up call. It was quite serious. Yeah. Um, and I never got in trouble after that. No. Well, I think there was a drink driving. Um, and I'd got mixed up with people that uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like it's almost like divine intervention. I don't know. I mean, two people I was mixed up with. One of them hung himself after serving a life sentence for stabbing a jeweler to death. The other one was found dead in the toilet of an overdose. And he uh, served numerous prison sentences. I was in court with them. In I think it was... 89 and there was no evidence offered against me mm -hmm. so it was like they say your name and like step down and um, I went to the Exeter Arts Centre with the uh, solicitor he was ex-flying squad uh, and had a vegetarian meal as I remember but that was the last time I had any trouble that mm. was the last time um, and I saw my pals, it just got darker and darker and worse and death. Ser yeah. it, was ser it was serious stuff. Yeah. You know, it was murder and stuff like that. This wasn't like towing the water, messing around. This was really serious. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, at some point, you know, your girlfriend's left you. You haven't even got the dog with you anymore. You know, I had an Alsatian called Nico. Fortunately, somebody took her off my hands. Um, and it was just a realisation that, you know, and a dear friend of mine, he died. Uh, you know, it was an accumulation of events after the the seriousness of the of the drug offence. Mm -hmm. uh, I still held on like a lunatic for six years. You know, registered on methadone, all that sort of carry on. 
you know, I wasn't a paragon of virtue. You know, this is why I felt that I was just so lucky. Things that happened, crazy things that happened. You know, I'd be driving along, I'm banned from driving, I'm over the limit, because every day was like that. You know, you'd start the day with high-strength lager, methadone. If you've got gear, you'd use that. And I can remember driving in the police car, the lights are flashing by, and I'm thinking, oh, no, no. And I've gone to pull in, and it's overtaken me and stopped the car in front of me. <laughs> and things like this kept yeah. happening. Yes. And it was... They were giving you chances. It was weird. Them. It yeah. was weird. And then, you know, nothing of any... It was all petty, low-level nonsense. You know, my goal every day was basically to get out of it, you know, but obviously to to, to be able to function, to be able to do that. But I just had enough. I mm. just, I, you know, I mean, there's a saying, sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just had enough. I just thought there's got to be something better. And there were weird things like the, there was a newspaper called the Sunday Correspondent. And I've seen a picture by Peter Housen who was the war artist in Bosnia, if you remember, in 93, mm -hmm. 92, 93. He was the official war artist, but he wasn't then. And there was this picture, it was called the Noble Dosser. And I sent him some of my poetry with a stamped addressed envelope. And he had an exhibition at Flowers East then. And he wrote back to me. I've still got the letter in the catalogue. He said, you know, what about doing something with your poetry and my paintings? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's little things like that. that I thought, too. that's great. And then, of course, his experiences in Bosnia, he had a religious sort of epiphany or mm -hmm. whatever. He found God. Mm. So, you know, I wrote to him, but I never heard from him again. <laughs> but it was just that little, you know, even then in my madness. Yeah, and yeah. I'd go up to poetry evenings. I was holding on to something. I didn't know what it was. But all I know, it was related to the written word mm. and the beats and all the usual thing, you know, like the book Junkie by William Burroughs. You know, it's not romanticising it, but you recognise things in there that are ageless. Mm -hmm. The setup guy, you know, where the guy's sitting in the bar waiting for that man to walk in and go, you know what, you're just the guy I need. And of course it never happens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I can remember being in a bedroom, asleep one afternoon, duvet diving, and a guy's come in. He said, do you want to earn, I think it was two and a half grand. Do you want to earn two and a half grand, Jerry? I need a case brought back from Amsterdam. This is God strike me down. It was 12 kilos of African bush. And I've gone, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I mean, so it did happen to me. And I yeah. got, you know, and yeah. I walked through with it. But the money did me no good because I had no plan. I was a lunatic. It just went. It just went. Yeah. And I've just walked through. I've just risked my neck coming through Heathrow on a Monday night. I can remember it. KLM. I've come in and the uh, carousel next to me was LL and they had armed police and dogs and I've got a case with the baggage allowance of African bush which if you've ever smelt it I swear to God and I've just and that's how I you know and it was like yep yeah, I'm through you know what I mean it was crazy yeah. it, it was like you know it was like a film that no one would want to see <laughs> it was just nonsense but I mean all all these experiences are they slowly I just thank being filtered? God I'm here. Are they being filtered <laughs> into your into your writing now? Obviously, that it has had an influence, or is it is it a time? Yeah, it has because I can't believe it. Yeah. I can't believe some of it. I cannot believe how stupid I was. Mm. You know how because I had the intelligence to realize this is you know if they stop you, 
then you might get away with it. But you're gonna you're gonna get at least three years straight away. Yeah. The people that surround you, your girlfriend, she's not even gonna send you in any tobacco. She, you're on your own totally. Mm. You've got nothing. You know, I remember a pal of mine. We're still in contact now. He's a doctor in Chicago. And he said, you know, you can't get away from the fact if you've got a big support network, if you've got money behind you, you've got more of a chance of turning it round because you've got that support network. Yes. And I know that to be true. You know, when you're on your own, it's re it is hard. Mm. You know, you've got to have this like, which I had, I believe, a blind faith that it will get better. I'd look at other people and I'd think they've done it. I can do this. You know, I just keep going. I mean, now it's got to be the hardest point in some ways because you've done all this. You've got these books behind you. And it's like, I don't know what doors to bang on anymore. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, what do you do? Mm. You just keep going. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it will be what it will be. So with your books, you've got, yes. I, I, I did have a look on, online and, and saw that you're in foils. Richards. Okay. He's got Ta distribution. Ta Ta yeah. Uh, tangent books he's got distribution but louise went into i can remember it there's a tea store it's all gone now part of the development of hackney yes. and the olympics but we went into central books louise went in with a laptop and we knew that they'd say have you got any other books in the pipeline and we made up some nonsense one of them was uh, recipes for disaster and poems for pets right these books never happened, right? It was to show them that. We... So she showed them Lubin Tales and everything, and bought uh, Bill, the guy at Central Books. He, he said, "Yeah, we'll do your distribution." So we were in with in Central Books okay. right from the word go. Right. And then after smoking other tales, we had other things up there, coloring books, all sorts. I took it all out because if unless you're selling the stock, you're paying storage. Right. So I filled a Saab with loads of stuff, which is mostly colouring books. But we'd sold quite a lot of Lubing Tales and Smoke and Other Tales and Talky Tornado. So then I'm without distribution, without a publisher, da -da, and then that's when Richard Jones at Tangent Books fits in. in yeah. Come. So, yeah, it's in, it's in foils, which he's done well doing that from Bristol, because he is mostly Bristol-centric. Right. And it's all in, in the Arnolfini... And Where is the Arnold? The Arnolfini is on Narrow Quay okay. in Bristol. In Bristol. Uh, it's just opposite where they threw in the statue okay. of Colston, and rightly so. Absolutely. Yes. And um, as for other sort of outlets, the truth of the matter is, I don't think there's many books left because mm. it was a short print run. It's right. not a massive print run. So in terms of people listening to this podcast and perhaps wanting to get their hands Oh, Tangent copy, Books. Just tangent go straight books. to Tangent Books. Or the can post you buy it online through Amazon? And... Yeah, but don't go to them. No. Go to, tan go to <laughs> Tangent books. books and the postage is free. And they've also got a load of other good books there. Okay. I'm not, you know... And you have a website called Zero Lubin. Well, it's, it's, um, it's a blog, really. Okay. It's, but people um, can find out about you via the... Yeah, just go up on the Zero Lubin blog or Facebook. And it's zerolubin.co.uk, isn't it? Or is it .com to get? No, I can't even remember. It's a blog. It's, <laughs> it's a, a blog. It, it's okay. a blog. It's Zero Lubin blog. So this um, is actually your next venture, is it? I want to do, yeah, to but I've got to come up with a title for the uh, podcast. Um, and at the moment, it's sort of working out what 
sort of what order to put the writing up in in a way that people can engage with it and it's not like department weird mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i can put it in compartments mm -hmm. like characters yes and yes. then experiences and maybe even decades okay but uh well that's something to to look out for in the future yeah certainly okay yeah um so we've talked about quite a lot about london and i loved our walk from liverpool street to your to your house here Is yeah there... but that's just two blocks I know. that we covered and look, look how do you much see we... how much it's changed <laughs> yes you know what i mean we didn't even do brick lane when you start you get to the mosque which used to be the synagogue which used to be the protestant church you know what i mean it's just yes it's just it's layers of history it's layers yeah. it's unbelievable and where do you go in london when you want to go and just have a bit of peace and quiet the barbican do you i love the barbican and if i've got a few bob i'll go in waitrose <laughs> but i genuinely love the barbican um and I like I I don't know if they I don't know if they can even call it this now, but it used to be Mad Mondays. Mm -hmm. You could go to the cinema for like six pound fifty, six pound sixty, and it's a lovely experience as well. And I love everything about it: the architecture, yes, you know, even the fittings. You know all this; they're yes, unique. Yeah, they they're are. bespoke yes. to the Barbican. I mean, if you know, if I suddenly had massive success, I definitely want to live in the Barbican. You know, that's your, your goal. That's an aspiration. Goal, an aspiration. Yeah, that one and, and the other one's living in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. Anywhere in particular. Well, it'd have to be on the French border. It would have to be, you know, I'd have to work it out because it's a bit like, I think, living in Monaco. You're better off to live in France and commute in. But then if I had that much money, I don't think I'd worry about it. You probably have, uh, Louisa you probably have said, in both places. She said I'd be bored. She said I'd be bored, which I probably would be. But it's just that thing, isn't it? It's Driving idea, around isn't it? in a vintage Mercedes, <laughs> you know, an ivory-coloured steering wheel, that sort of, you know. I don't even know if I'd get on with them. Well, there's only one way to find out. I know, I know. But for now, the Barbican, I'm happy with okay, the Barbican. Full, small steps, isn't it? And, I, of course, I love going to Foils. What, the main one? Charing Cross Road, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. since it's changed. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, used to its new look. I've got a friend who works there, mm -hmm. Patrick. I think you took my book there to show him. Yeah, he's a musician mm. as well and uh, an illustrator. Mm. He's quite good, actually. I've got some works of art here of his. Okay. But, uh, yeah, did they have it in there? They got it in there or not? I don't did know. Did you have distribution? No, because I'm self-published. See, this was it. It was through, this was how we did it, through mm -hmm. Central. Mm -hmm. That was the conduit. Yeah. That's what we found out. Yeah. It's very hard to get in. You know, the days of sort of going in. Yeah. But saying that, I did it with, um, what's the record shop called over Brick Lane? Mm -hmm. Rough Trade. The woman's left now. Mm -hmm. I went in there, uh, smoking other tales. She's gone, yeah, sale or return. She, I just used to invoice them. She'd pay me. Brilliant. Uh, sold them. That's Brilliant. In the London section. Got in touch with some woman over there now, haven't heard a word from her. Mm. I can't be bothered. Mm. I really can't. Mm -hmm. It's their loss. Totally. It is. I, I mean, it's like Decker and the Beatles. It is really, or the Rolling Stones. It was like, you know, smoking other tales. Waterstones Piccadilly, they had 50 copies and they sold. And That's then I've brilliant. got, yeah, it was somebody staying here, an Italian woman. She said, Jerry, your books are they upset? And I'm thinking she's exaggerating. And I've gone down there and they've got like three copies left. 
And I've seen the guy in the fiction department. I said, look, I'm quite happy to do a reading. And he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of enthusiasm, the usual. If I had a pound for every time I've had that. <laughs> yeah, and then nothing yeah. happened. You know, probably because there was someone else that maybe sold a hundred books. Do you know what I mean? So why would they have me? Even though it's it's a lot to me, yeah. it's not a big deal to them. And it would have been Waterstones at Charing Cross as well. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you on social? You're on Instagram. Oh, Instagram. And is it again? Jerry King, the writer. Jerry King, the writer. Okay. Jerry King, Check the writer. It out, that's you, it. You have some very amusing comments. Yeah. I like your comments as well. Yeah, that's the one right. really. Okay. Yeah, Instagram. Okay. I we'll think that's the way forward. So I think what we should do now is, if you'd like, to read a kind of 30-second excerpt ah. from your book. Well, this is a distraction. I don't know. It's going to be longer than 30 seconds, I think. You go for it. All right. This is distraction number six. Outside. Storm. Karaya is raging by Whitechapel standards, and I'm watching Lost in Translation on Netflix. Even though it's early February, the buds are growing on the tree outside my kitchen window. I watch the tree flex and sway. I couldn't bear anything to happen to this tree. Trees are at a premium round here. There's a magpie nest on the top. I don't like their raspy chatter. I prefer the tweet and chirp of small flitting birds. A ginger tomcat with a big scarred head is always climbing the tree, trying to get at the magpies. The cat has no fear and will try and barge his way onto the landings when the main door is closed. I always say to him, all right, mate, but I've never stroked him. A friend of mine stayed at the flat last night. She practices hypnotherapy in Edinburgh and Glasgow and was in London attending a workshop in High Holborn. As a gift, she left me a book, Japanese Wisdom for a Perfectly Imperfect World. I'm always wary of counsellor types, anyone on a mission, really. I was a bastard, and then I found Jesus. An element of, I drive a car, therefore I'm a mechanic. When I consider some of my more balanced friends, I realise they've usually done some work on themselves. They've had counselling or therapy. My excuse is purely lack of finances. I don't know what I'm frightened of losing, apart from the money, of course. <laughs> that's brilliant. But that's Very that. good. Excellent. Thank you, Jerry. Well, okay. I think we've... Um... You've spent a lot of time chatting and, and it's been just wonderful no, it's been to great. hear a bit more about your life. And thank you for sharing so much with us. And is there anything else that you'd like to add as a, a final farewell to, to the podcast for today anyway? No, I think it's great that uh, you're doing this. And in some ways, the spirit of the bookshop lives on. It does. I've really enjoyed it. So if anyone wants to get in touch, if they're interested in the mm-hmm. books... It, it, it just get me through Instagram, okay. Jerry King the writer, or Gerard King at gmail dot com, all one word. So that's it, really. I can't think. I think that's it. Great, thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Emma. Thank you very much. And to all you podcast listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and been inspired. I certainly have. Please do share if you have enjoyed it. Subscribe if you can to the Travelling Through podcast. There'll be another podcast next week, so watch out for that. But for now, take care and thanks for listening.